Hallelujah. Praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us this morning uh, for the study of the word of the Lord. And remember, we say that the word of the Lord is new. It's alive every morning and it's new to us. And if you've not been able to listen to the podcast we've done straight from the book of Genesis, I ask you to visit all podcast platforms, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, name it. You can also visit our website, BibleIndepth.com, and there you shall find everything concerning the network. Uh, you will have a prayer room live stream that you can join in. You will have a radio to listen to through there. You have children's books that we've done about the Bible, clips about the Bible, everything. You'll find there, and I believe the Lord shall speak to you even as you listen, because there's no limitation to revelation. God reveals his word to everybody who shows the need. If you want God to speak to you, he will come and he will speak to you. Now, we are handing the book of Ezekiel, and uh, we started on some history of Israel. It's important for us to know about Israel if you are going to understand the Bible. If you're going to understand the prophecies, even those of Ezekiel and those by other prophets, we have to understand the history of Israel. This is the real history, like they tell you in your nation that this happened 100 years ago or 200 years ago. That's the same thing we are doing right now. And we got to study about Ezekiel. And when we reached the 38th chapter, we took a pause and says, Let, let's know what happened before this that Ezekiel is saying comes to pass because the prophecy in Ezekiel 38 has not yet come to pass. So we need to know what has been the environment in Israel since the end of the captivity in Babylon in which Ezekiel was. And uh, this we will go through seeing how Israel has been, how the Jews have fared, how they've been... Uh, taken through difficult times by other nations, and some of these nations I mentioned even in the book, in chapter 38 of this book. And uh, we will see how it all comes about, how they go through it, and uh, then reach chapter 38, knowing about that battle of Armageddon, having a clear picture of how the stand of this nation has been. There's been promised to them, there was promised to them of peace, but peace. It was far, was far. It was over 2,000 years to come. But it is spoken by Ezekiel while they are in captivity in Babylon. And uh, he speaks that God will visit them. God will prosper them. God will remember them. But before that, all this that we are looking at is happening to them. Now, yesterday where we closed off, we were looking at uh, Alexander the Great. He's dead at 32, a young man victorious, a war general, a genius in war. And uh, he fights, takes over, gets the largest empire that has ever been seen or created by one man. And when he dies young, at the age of 32, three of his generals take charge. Yeah, The Antigonids take their, their part, the Seleucids take their part, and also the Ptolemies take their part. Of course, the Antigonids are far off, quite far off from uh, the people of Israel because they're in Macedonia. But then 
in uh, Syria just closes where the Seleucids are, and now the Ptolemies take over Egypt and the East Mediterranean. That is the area in which Israel was. So, from that point, they are under their control. They are under the control of the Ptolemies. And where we closed off yesterday, we saw that Ptolemy the first took captive the people of Israel. He took captive the Jews, over 100,000, and they entered into slavery. We saw how, interestingly, Israel got another captivity that is known in history. Apart from the first one in Egypt, they had the second one still in Egypt. And uh, Ptolemy, now, Ptolemy the first dies. His time is done. His rule is done. And he dies. And guess who comes next? His son. This one is Ptolemy, known as Ptolemy the second, or Ptolemy Philadelphus. And he comes in the time about 285 to 206 BC, before Christ. And this one ruled, of course, everything stayed as normal. Those who were slaves still remained as slaves. Those who were uh, running affairs in uh, back home in, in Israel still ran the affairs. But then, in his time, he gets uh, a, a, some thought of greatness. says, I want to have a library here in Alexandria. I want to have a library here in our territory of, uh, of Egypt, and it has to have all books that exist in the world. And it has to be a center. Remember Greeks were uh, quite, people who were quite uh, learned, and uh, they loved books that we know about them. They loved knowledge. Yeah, they, pra they praised in wisdom. So he says, I want to have for myself a library where people are going to come, find books, a huge, a hugest collection that has ever been. So he puts aside a, a large fund base, yeah, to his people and uh, the, his officials who work with the literature and everything. And he tells them also, go to every corner of the world and bring for me books and bring for me writings and bring for me things that have been written by other nations. So they start to collect. And now they gathered a huge collection of books for the people of uh, for Ptolemy II. And after they've gathered all this, something interesting still comes to, to mind. They say, we've got all books, but there's something that appears to be missing. We don't have the books of the Jews. So now they want to gain more books, and they see that we don't have the books of these Jews, the people of Israel. Uh, the reason we do not have their literature is it's in Hebrew, and we don't understand Hebrew. Remember, at the time, uh, when, the, when Babylon is in charge, it's Aramaic that is uh, known everywhere, and uh, then when the Greeks come, they spread their culture everywhere, and now Greek starts to be the world language. Everybody speaks Greek. Now, the Hebrews or the Jews keep their Hebrew and their literature is still in Hebrew, so they do not understand it. It can't be spread out. And also remember, there is also a fact that even as these Jews are being dispersed and sent off to different parts of the world, with time, because of the assimilations that have been given, uh, that have been done, 
they start to lose their own language. They do not know about their own language. Yeah, they start to speak Greek as well. And uh, Hebrew starts to die out. But then their literature is in Hebrew. So there is a, a library keeper for Ptolemy II. It's called Demetrius Philarius. And he comes and tells him, I need to raise an issue to you, my king. We've gathered all books, but when it comes to the Jewish books, we need to translate them so that we add them to your library. Otherwise, if, if we bring them and put them there, nobody will understand what we are talking about. Okay? So he tells him, this is what we want to do. We want to translate these books. Now, for you to translate books of the people that you've made slaves did not make a lot of sense because you have to talk to them and ask them to help you translate the books. But then you still have made them slaves in your uh, territory. So one of the king's trusted friends is called Aristia, says, he goes to the king and tells him, you know, this is something I need to bring before you, my friend, my my king. Yeah? And he tells him, these people whom we want to translate books for, these Jews, we need to set them free. Otherwise, it's going to lose meaning. And he also tells him, by the way, these same people that uh, we are holding captive, we serve the same God just like they do. It's their God that is uh, keeping you on the throne. It's their God that is uh, protecting your land. Yeah, only that we call him a different name, but it is the same God. That's what Aristeus tells Ptolemy II. And now, this is the issue. The second name, their God that they used to, to, to worship and praise is Zeus. Zeus, his second name happens to be Sabazios. So, Sabazios, when it comes to the Jews, their lord of armies is called Sabaoth. Now, Sabazios and Sabaoth sound the same. Yeah? They might carry a similar meaning. Now, the Greeks get this and say it is the same God. They misrepresent it or misunderstand it and say Zeus Sabazios is the same as the one of the Jews that Sabaoth, the Lord of Armies. So, it is the same God that is protecting us. So, and it's the same God that is growing your, your, your empire. So, clearly we cannot keep them captive. Let's set them free. Let's set them free. And when we do the translation of their books, it will have some much more meaning. Yeah? So, what does the king do? Ptolemy decides and says, okay, since that's what you've said, and I understand that it makes sense, my friend, what we should do? We should set them free. So he writes a decree and tells all these soldiers and uh, people of, 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 of his Greek uh, friends that, and people and, and uh, citizens who are living in Egypt that had captives, that had slaves of the Jews, and tells them, writes to them, tells them, I'm going to pay each and every one of you. We are going to pick from the temple treasury, from the national treasury, sorry. And we are going to pay for every Jew who is a slave to be set free. And that's where we get the release 
of the Jews. He makes a decree, says every, ma- every person must obey this. If you do not, then it will be a case against the nation. So, here is how the Jews receive their freedom. Here is how the Jews are set free once again for the second time. And he says it's, it's okay if you want to go back home, you go back home. But of course, people had created lives elsewhere. And hey, even in back home in Judea, it wasn't uh, a time that was rosy that people are really looking forward to return. So unlike the first um, captivity of Moses, the, we didn't have a mass movement of these released slaves. Uh, some went back, but it wasn't... Uh, that very huge mass movement. Because even there were those Jews already in Egypt that had centered there, that had created lives there, that had become real citizens of Egypt. And some remained there and joined them. Others who liked went back. They were at liberty. The king spoke, said, if you want, you're free. But now, what is on ground is the Jews are free. They are no longer slaves in Egypt under Ptolemy II. Why? Because they have looked into the matter, first, saying the God is the same, and second, in desire to translate the Jewish books into Greek, there needs to be some sort of relation. So, after this is done, uh, Ptolemy II writes a letter, and is writing it to the high priest who is Eliezer at the time, and is sending it to him back home in Judea, in Jerusalem, and says... I want to let you know I have set free all the slaves. Everyone is a free man now in my place here in Egypt. No Jew is still captive. Secondly, here comes the request that he wanted for his library. He tells him, I also want you to send me six elders from each tribe of Israel. For all the 12 tribes you have, send me six elders. They are considered knowledgeable. They are considered wise. Send me six elders because I want them to come and translate the Hebrew law and translate the Torah and translate the scriptures of the Jews and translate them from Hebrew to Greek. And that's where we get, when you get six times 12 tribes, those are 72 elders. That's where those people come, they go to Egypt, they sit down, translate the Torah, and they pick it from Hebrew, translating it to Greek. And that's how you get the Septuagint, which is that edition that was translated, scriptures translated, those books that were translated from Hebrew to Greek, that we read over no as a Septuagint. Because Septuagint means 70, a group of 70. These were 72, but it means that these people who translated these books, so they pick on that name, and now they get them after translation, and they hand them over to Ptolemy, that here is the law, our law. This is how we are, we, this is the God we serve, and Ptolemy reads and is excited and says, this is a God that is worthy being worshipped. And he gives them present, he blesses them as per their culture, because they have translated these books, for him. Now, that's where the Greeks start to also gain because the Jews or the Israelites 
were now understanding and reading their language. Because you, the scriptures now get accessible to everybody. They're understandable because they're in Greek, which is a language that is global right now. It took over the Aramaic of Babylon. And the Jews in Egypt, and even those across the globe, were no longer speaking Hebrew that much because it started to fade. But now, because of the translation and Greek is known by everybody in every part, they get this joy of starting to read about their law, about their scriptures, about the Torah in a language that they understand. This was a victory to Ptolemy II, but also even to the Jews, they started to get to understand their own language. It was also key to them in one way. There was a, an Egyptian uh, writer who went on to the king and also had written to the king telling him there are things that the Jews write in their books concerning the Exodus. They say things that are demeaning our Egyptian heritage and uh, pride, yeah? Because they say that their God came and we had them captive and then they brought plagues on us and our nation was destroyed by the ten plagues and then we were drowned in the Red Sea and this Egyptian writer came on and said, that is false. What they are saying in their books is not right because what actually happened, you see those guys, they got leprosy in our land. And when they got that leprosy, we decided that they should leave before they infect everybody else. So their leaving was because they were sick. And we set them free to all leave and go. Now, that was one of the uh, most dangerous all malicious uh, news or information or writing that went and spread through the world saying the Jews are lying. Their books are not right. They forged the story. So when they come out to, trans to translate this book and uh, this Torah, and people start to understand because they can read the language and understand what they're saying, it's a plus to them. It's a bonus to them. They feel that, yeah, now we can set our record straight of what that Egyptian writer said. But now, what's key is here? Books have been translated. They're out there. And of course, other books kept being translated uh, into this Septuagint, into this uh, collection that is known as the Septuagint. And over the period of Ptolemy II, they kept on translating other books yeah, that may not be part of the Torah. Some are considered apocrypha, yeah, and... Uh, over 15 books are added there. Right now, you may not find them in this collection of the Bible that we have, but they were translated and placed into Greek. Of course, this replaces that Jewish Bible, that Hebrew Bible that they had as the Israelites because right now, they have a Greek translation and that's what they read, that's what they move with. Of course... This is a plus for both, but that's how the scriptures start to get translated from Hebrew. Hebrew started dying out, by the way, over the years. And it came to a point where it was almost non-existent. But it comes back, and we may not get into the detail of how it came back, but it comes back through a family, one family that decides and says, in our household we shall use Hebrew. And the rest started to emulate, and it came back on the scene. Now, Judea, 
still remember as we started uh, this part where the kingdom has been broken down into three and you have three rulers, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies always had their conflicts. The Ores had their contentions in regions, including Israel, including the area of Israel. And eventually, with all the wars that they were fighting, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, the Ptolemies lost finally the region of Israel. They lost the region of Judea, and it fell into the hands of the Seleucids. Now, this period that it falls into their hands is about 200 BC, 200 years before Christ comes. The Seleucids now have control of Israel. And there is Antiochus III, who is also called Antiochus the Great. He takes on from Judea. And what he says when he comes on, he says, Ah, guys, like it was with the Ptolemies, you guys rule. It's your uh, national autonomy. I give you your customs. At first, that's what he tells them. Tells them, I don't hear to break down anything. Yeah, just keep it. Your high priest then is Simon the First. Your elders council control your country. We are here. We are peaceful. We've just taken over from the Ptolemies. With the Seleucids, don't have any trouble with you. So, have your high priest reign. By the time that uh, Simon the First is reigning as high priest, we see the synagogue life come. The synagogue starts to uh, be key in the Israelite life. They start building synagogues. Of course, this they uh, was not new. It wasn't started right there in Israel. But in the small sections in Egypt where their fellow Jews were, they had started building these synagogues, worship places. And here in Israel, in Judea, they start to build them. They use them as houses of gathering, yeah? Like a parliament of sorts. If we want to sit down and deliberate, you come to the synagogue. They also use them as houses of prayer because it was a center of prayer. It is the one of the main uh, holes that have been constructed. Then, if also they wanted to break down the scripture, exegesis, discuss, they also used the synagogue. And most importantly, that's where they kept the Torah on the east wall. That's where they kept the Torah. So they would get it out, they read, they teach, they interpret, and also pray for the nation for that, so that there is a revival a national revival that happens in their nation. So that's where the synagogues start, and they then start to multiply across because they were known also to be popular religious universities of that age because that's where the wise would go, sit, discuss, talk. So they started to spread through different towns that you find almost every town at a synagogue in the near future. So Simon is ruling the Seleucids, don't have any issue, but it's just for a while. After some time, the Seleucids come out and say, no, we are raising the tax rate for you. Now, they've started to torture them. They increase the taxes. Yeah? And now, life starts to get uncomfortable again for Israel. Remember, Israel still has no autonomy. They were set free from captivity. They left the captivity. They came back. But life still does not match as per what prophecy said because it took a while. 
And that we said about promises of God, that sometimes they can take a while. But that doesn't imply that God has forgotten you. That doesn't imply that God has, does not consider you. It's just a time. And after that time, you'll see it come to pass. Like we'll see that it came to pass 2,000 years later. Now, around that period, the Seleucids have taken control. Rome starts to rise. Rome starts to get on the map. That's about 191 to 190 before Christ. They start to rise. And what happens when Rome is rising? Remember, their rise is they start fighting wars. And like anyone, you take them for granted. They start getting small victories. They start fighting and taking places. But before you know it, they are taking control of the entire region. So Rome starts to rise. And guess who it comes for to start fighting? Antiochus, they start to fight him, the great. They start to come and they win wars. Some battles that they would fight, they win. And for anybody who knows what military might is and what uh, world leadership is, if you lose a war, you start to lose your credibility. That's what happens to Antiochus the Great. When he starts to lose these wars to the Romans, then his dominant position starts to fall and he's dethroned by the Romans. Of course, they don't come to take him off immediately, but when they fight and they overcome and they start winning wars, you are at their mercy. So what do the Romans say? They tell Antiochus, you now have to start sending tribute to us. You have to start paying tribute to Rome because, hey, you can't handle us in military might. If you want to exist, exist for a while. But pay tribute to us. How does he handle that as Antiochus? As the Seleucids, if they have to send tribute to Rome, he will have to go to his empire, to the people that he, he rules as Antiochus and inflict that tax rate on them. So the, the taxes they have to pay to Rome are picked from the nations they have control over, which includes Israel. So the tax goes higher. It gets more stringent. And life gets harder for the people of Israel. Of course, the Greek ways, the Hellenistic ways of the Greek are still much in force. They are coming out in force because they are instilling their Greek ways into their society. Yeah, Things to believe in, how to act. And mainly the wealthy in Israel they had no problem with it. Somehow the rich people never have issues with the reigning uh, dynasties. The wealthy would welcome anything. I mean, for them, they have money. They are not suffering. But the poor, those ones rejected. They were like, this culture of the Greeks, we do not want. We don't want. They are killing us. They are messing up our culture. We don't want. But the wealthy were like, it's okay. And we saw a facility being built called uh, Antiochia that is built in Judea and it had gymnasiums which had images of uncircumcised young men. Of course, that is uh, something that is attacking the Jews because for them, they know they have to be circumcised. Now, there are images that show uncircumcised men. They would do athletics when they are nude. Nudity was now uh, happening in their own land and they are witnessing it. 
And then there are those Orthodox Jews, those who cannot entertain such, who say for us, don't mess with us, don't mess with our land. Those who are there, they existed. And through them we see a group that rises, known as the Hasidim. The Hasidim, this word means godly. Yeah, this Yahwist group rises and says, we shall not entertain Greek habits in Israel. We shall not let them mess up our land. We shall not accept their institution. So we are going to rebel against the Greek institution. We are going to rebel and repel their lifestyle as the Greeks. We don't want them. And that's where the Hasidim movement comes about and causes disturbance, causes conflict in Judea. And the one who comes after Antiochus II, the great, that is Antiochus IV, says these people who are causing chaos, I'm going to deal with them. I need to go and sort out this issue in Judea. These people who are causing chaos in my land, I need to sort them out. Antiochus IV marches into Jerusalem. He comes in and he installs, takes off the high priest that existed, puts on a high priest called Menalas. This is one he preferred because he was a puppet to him. He breaks down the walls of Jerusalem. He goes and loots the temple treasury. And now that became another whole chapter. Because the Greeks are not only bringing their influence and lifestyle on us, they are even entering our temple to destroy it. Antiochus comes, that is around 169 before Christ. Antiochus, now for him he has come, Antiochus IV, to defend Hellenism, to defend Greek culture. And he even goes ahead, forbids the Jews from circumcision, says, I don't want any Jew to circumcise anymore. No, they are, they are entering now their own law and trying to break them down. These Orthodox Jews, the Hasidim movement, say you are joking. He does not stop there on circumcision. He says, even the Sabbath, stop celebrating it. That's what Antiochus says. Don't celebrate the Sabbath anymore. He takes it a notch higher and tells them to start offering sacrifices to other pagan gods. Gods that the Greeks believe in. says, don't offer sacrifices to your Yahweh. Offer them to these small gods. And now, in uh, 167 BC, Antiochus IV does the impossible. He rededicates the Jerusalem temple as a shrine to the supreme Greek god, Olympias Zeus. And Zeus now has a place where he is worshipped. And guess where that is? In the temple. In the temple of Jerusalem. Where the almighty God had to be worshipped is where Zeus is now being worshipped. That's what Antiochus IV decided to do. Now, he does that feeling, the Jews will understand. They can easily assimilate their worship and start worshipping Zeus. Because anyway, he's called Sabazios. And Sabazios, under the Hebrews, is the Lord of armies. For them, they call him Saboth. So it is the same, like we looked at earlier. So he starts to tell them, go to the temple. And as far as your temple is concerned in Jerusalem, we've rededicated it. And now it's not to your God, it's to our supreme Greek God, Zeus. This was too extreme. And uh, this 
suppressing of Judaism that this Seleucid leader does provokes a rebellion, a great rebellion that we have seen in the history of the world known as the Maccabean Revolt. And this was led by a family known also as Hasmonean. This is between 166 to 160 BC. That's where we shall continue tomorrow. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the study. And we pray that you help us learn more and understand more of how your kingdom works and operates. And we honor you, give you glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.